as long as you understand the nuances around the game that you're playing, then you should be able to get there in due time. But if you just keep going in different directions all the time, you'll never get there. Hello and welcome to Confessions of a B2B Marketer. My name is Tom Hunt, your host, and we have a big guest, big name, Eric Sue jumps on the show to talk about the power of personal branding, his biggest marketing mistake, and what's working, what's coming actually in the world of SEO in the next couple of years, e.g. with AI. Now, before we get into that, if you have a B2B business and you're looking to generate more leads, but you're also looking to build relationships with people within the niche that could be beneficial, and you want content to be pushed out onto LinkedIn, social, TikTok, and you want to reshape the narrative in your industry, then you've got to go to fame.so to check out the mainly done for you, but a little bit of done with you, because the host of the show typically has to be, or we recommend is from the client, podcasting service. Relatively affordable, but big on ROI. Go to fame.so. They are the business that I own, full disclosure, and they also create this show. So now we've done that, let's move into the discussion with Eric. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. Happy to be here. So I've been following you for a while. And during my research this week, it almost comes to me that maybe your greatest strength, and obviously you have many strengths, is potentially like personal branding and building up your own audiences and content plays. And it seems like this has had a big impact on your success to date. Do you think that's an accurate statement? I think it's partially true. I would say my greatest superpower, so to speak, would be connecting the dots. And that means connecting the dots, whether it comes to playing the game of trying to grow traffic or connecting the dots with connecting people. I think that's just how my brain works. And so I would say that's definitely part of it. Yes. Yeah, interesting. Because I was consuming a lot of content today about your like kind of networking approach. And that makes total sense. And then mentioning traffic as well also makes a lot of sense. So also going back in my research, because I want to start like a little bit back and then we'll come like almost like a timeline through the episode of your career. So it seems like you started in the online marketing game in 2010. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. Cool. And then you started building the personal brand like 2013. That's correct. Yes. For me, that's absolutely incredible timing because almost just as like social was coming around, probably a lot before like LinkedIn became a thing, this initial building of the audience, did that start to open doors for things that you were going to do next? Yeah, it totally did. And... A, I was consuming a lot of stuff. I mean, if I were to bring it to a very high level, I just love learning and teaching. If you were to strip away everything I had today, I would still just continue to learn and teach. And I was learning a lot during that period. And because of the learning, I ended up having a lot of conversations with a lot of people in the space. And those conversations ended up leading me into getting my marketing director job when I was at a startup when I was like 25 years old, right? And then that led to the next opportunity where eventually I took over and bought out the founders of the the ad agency that I own now. And so everything, it all just came from learning and teaching and talking to people. And that's how I opened doors in, I guess, my own fashion. You think the work ethic also had an impact, like to go in and have that kind of role at 25, move into COO, I believe, at Single Grain at the start, and then take over. Like, are you just grinding every day? Yeah. And so I don't know how relatable this is, but I wrote a book called Leveling Up. And it's just how I look at life as a game. So when you play a lot of games, you're just grinding a lot. Like sometimes you're just sitting there. I remember one time I was 
as part of a quest to get this weapon that was that really makes you stand out from a status standpoint, I had to wait for this monster to spawn. And I would wait for weeks and weeks and weeks. I just had my character there and my volume would be turned all the way up. And I grinded so hard that I got a fever and I was sick for like a couple of days because like that's the amount of work that I put in. And so I use that example just to say that because I've gotten so used to grinding playing games in business, I'm like, oh yeah, this is just part of the journey. And so, yeah, I think grinding is definitely a piece of it and it's the price of admission for success. Got it. So we develop the skills that we need in order to do the marketing director role. And then we get this opportunity a single grain where you join as COO. So I assume you're not like necessarily actually doing marketing in that role? No, that was... Okay, so just to rewind for the startup one, the situation there was that we had a... There was a lot of momentum because online education, there's a lot of venture money going into that. And we had a great team. We had a great product. We just lacked marketing. So we sucked at marketing. The problem to solve there was like, okay, how do you really ramp this thing? And so that was an all-in bet on YouTube ads. And fortunately, that worked out. And then we growing like crazy. We're getting like 500 users a month, went up to 5,000 users a month. And then we raised our Series B. And then the single grain issue was a different challenge. It was, we didn't have a great service or product anymore. And we didn't necessarily have the right team in place. And so it was very much a turnaround situation, which I wasn't interested in. But to answer your question directly, it was a completely different problem set. And I just wanted to learn and hopefully teach from my all my mistakes that I would make. So, And then how long between joining as COO and then A, becoming CEO, but then B, becoming the, I assume, owner? Yeah. So I just want to preface this by saying, so 25-year-old marketing director, 26 was COO, 27 CEO or whatever. And like these are... Both these were small companies, right? But there's still a lot to learn. Like Treehouse, the, the company I was working at at the time, I think we had like 85 people or so. When I came into Single Grain, it was small. as maybe like 20-ish people or so. But still, at the end of the day, when I came into all three of these roles, I had no idea what I was doing. And I think that's a lesson for everyone because most of the time, none of us really know what we're doing. We're all just kind of figuring it out. So short answer to your question is... It took me from the time I joined Single Grain as COO to become CEO. Maybe that was like a six-month journey. And yeah, before I knew it, the new year started in 2014 and I was the owner of the company. And happy to talk more about that if you want. Sure. And you're still, I believe, the owner, maybe partial owner now, right? I'm the full owner of the company. So I've been the full owner since then. The way we negotiated the deal was there were four other co-founders. Neil, actually my podcast co-host, was one of the partners. I bought the company for $2 out of pocket and the rest I seller financed. And so, and then I put in a contingency saying that if the company failed, I'll own nothing. I made it go from bad to worse initially, but thankfully it all worked out. So how, and we're skipping ahead now, but how operational are you in the business now? Or are you more just driving clients over? Yeah. So to your point, we have very good lead flow and I was really off hands in 2021. We bought two other agencies Recently, I've gotten a lot more hands-on. And so I'm very much kind of playing full contact and I'm enjoying it, to be frank. And I'm happy to share some stories around kind of what else we're seeing in the macro environment right now because it's happening for a lot of my friends right now. So it's like the trend now, like the founders are stepping back in. So Yeah, we're jumping ahead, but let's do it. I want two things if possible, like details on the lead flow. Obviously, don't give the secrets, but just like where we're seeing that coming from. And then B, yeah, just like other things we're seeing in macro and in like the marketing services industry. Yeah, sure. So... 
a lot of our lead flow comes from SEO. But the funny thing is when the sales team talks to these leads, they will often ask how many of you know who Eric is, right? Just out of curiosity. And about 70% of them will actually know like through the podcast or speaking somewhere, whatever it is. And so I would say there's a good chunk from SEO, maybe 15% comes from podcasts, 15% comes from networking or speaking. Which podcast you have too, right? Yeah, I have two. Yeah. So it's a mix. They just say podcast. They don't really kind of define it. But sometimes, surprisingly, people do too come up to me and they tell me they like my other podcast more than my popular one, right? But that's a whole nother thing. So that's the first answer. And then the second answer is with the macro stuff right now. So I was texting with my friend about a week ago and he told me that he had moved down to a nice area, bought a new home, he had a kid and all that. And he was just playing Call of Duty for the last couple of years since 2020, right? And he hired a president, he hired a CEO, and he was collecting his $2 million dividend a year, right? It was a pretty good deal, right? Because $2 million, you know, on autopilot, you're just playing Call of Duty with your family all day. That sounds like a good gig. And he's just like, yep, I just had to sack both of them. And he stepped back into the business and he's like, yeah, the A players are so pumped now that we let go of the B and C players. And it's a jungle out there right now. Like it's discipline is back. And I actually tweeted this the other day. I was like, discipline is back. He's a good example of that. My other friend, they had like 13, 1400 people. I think they just cut four or 500 people. He's deep back in the business as well. My other friend, he has like a holding company. He wasn't involved with his primary business, but he's back in swinging the hammer around. He had to let go of his CEO. We had a managing director that we had to let go of. And we had all these senior hires that we made, unfortunately, that we had to cut. And so it's rough for the economy that a lot of people are being let go. But I think what we're seeing now is everything's coming back to this efficiency, this discipline way of growing. And I'm all for it. So... And you think, let's say, a year or two business back in the game, like the economy is a bit better, you think you'll take a step back again? Yeah, probably I'll step back into the chair role. But I think for me, just because my mission, my overarching mission is just to empower entrepreneurs to have a positive impact. And because I love learning and teaching so much, what I found, and my team has even said this too, like when I just come and I sprinkle my magic here and there and not try to micromanage necessarily, but give a couple insights here and there, they find it extremely valuable. So... I think I'll continue to play kind of this chair coach type of role. Makes total sense. Now, back in the story, it seems like meeting Neil Patel was like relatively, I don't don't want to say keep up, but like an important part of the journey, right? Because maybe he connected you with Single Grain, but also Marketing School Podcast, which in my opinion is absolutely genius. And again, you mentioned connecting the dots. So can we talk about how we met Neil and then more about, I guess, Marketing School and how the impact is having on you now? Yeah, totally. So... I was, I think I was 24 or so, and I would read Neil's blog. He used to have a blog called Quick Sprout, and now it's more of an affiliate blog now, but he used to have a lot of content he'd publish around SEO stuff that he's learning or how he spent $100,000 on clothes and this is what he got from it, right? And he'd run all these crazy experiments and some would work, some wouldn't. But I just appreciated how transparent he was with stuff. And one day I was reading something and I found out that he, I felt like he was making a word up with as it relates to SEO. So I kind of called him out on it when I emailed him. But like code email. Yeah, like but in an email, not like publicly. And so I was like, this doesn't make sense. Are you just making this up, right? And so usually a normal person would ignore that, but he actually took the time to explain it to me. And I found that he was very responsive, very quick. I said, like, oh, this guy actually responds. So then I just like, okay, I'm going to milk this, right? So I just kept messaging him more and more. I kept asking more and more questions. And it finally got to the point where you'd expect him to just ignore me by now. But no, he's like, he doubled down. He's like, let's just get on the phone. And so we got on the phone. And then we talked. And 
then eventually he was like, let's just meet in person. And so we ended up meeting in person at a Taco Bell in Southern California. And that's how we ended up meeting in person. He's only a year older than me. So I think if I was 24, he was 25 years old. And he was still very much kind of upward trajectory. But a lot of people in the online marketing space already knew who he was. And that's how we started our friendship. And eventually that led to the whole single ring thing because he saw what I was doing for that startup. He's like, hey, can you come help save this company? And I wasn't interested until I reframed it where I was like, oh, maybe if I can turn this around, I'll learn a lot with business. So that led to the single grain thing. And then the marking school thing was actually happened a couple miles away from where I'm sitting right now. But we were just walking in kind of the Beverly Hills-ish area or maybe West Hollywood-ish area. And I was just talking about how podcasting had been so beneficial to me because at the time, I already had my first podcast. So marketing school, we've been doing about for about seven years. I've actually been podcasting for about 10 years. And he actually misheard me. And so I was like, yeah, podcasting has been so great. It's been so great. This I got this. I got this from it, right? The benefits. And then he turns to me and he's like, yeah, let's do it. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, let's do the podcast. And so... And so I'm like, okay, what do you think is a good name? He's like, B school, we should call it business school. I'm like, somebody has that name already. It was Marie Forleo, right? I was like, let's call it marketing school. So that's a, like an instant collaboration. And from there, I mean, we've just been doing it nonstop. I mean, since then he's gotten married. He's had two kids. No matter if we're traveling, he's sick, I'm sick. We've just been very consistent with the daily cadence. From what I've somehow seen online, it seems like you're quite efficient with recording. So you're like meet up or remotely bang out like 10 episodes, get them edited. And then if daily, right? Correct. Yeah. So we'll typically batch them. So we'll batch anywhere from seven to 10 episodes and typically go take us about an hour or so. And then we've actually recently, so we'll always try to stay ahead by two weeks or so with the dailies. Those are five to 10 minutes or so. And then recently we've added reaction videos. We've tried to do weekly reactions where we're reacting to the news. That way it's it's more kind of recent because we've got some complaints from people. And so we want to talk about modern stuff and our reactions to it. That's what the setup looks like now. And I think we're approaching about 100 million downloads or so. And so, yeah, consistency. So I, my show, Confessions of B2B Marketer, B2B Marketing is like the keyword. And so ranking like top three, top five of that in Apple Podcasts. And then I sometimes get like ambitious and I try to test to see who ranks for marketing. And like, obviously you guys have that word there right at the start of the name. And obviously you have a shed load of downloads. So no one's going to like knock you off the top there. So again, like great time with the podcast thing. Quickly on monetization of the podcast, obviously both you and Neil have the like backend services monetization. I think I might've heard sponsors on it before. Or is there any other way if you're monetizing? Yeah, so we do have sponsors on Marketing School. And so recently, we've had the same consistent one for the last couple of years, DreamHost. And Microsoft just did a test and we'll see if they renew. Shopify has done a test as well. It looks like they want to renew. So the getting the advertisers is nice, but also we will advertise our own stuff too. So there might be an ad for Neil stuff. There might be an ad for my stuff. And for example, I have like an upcoming event coming up. So we'll try to be dynamic with the ad insertion. And so, yeah, that's how it's set up right now. Got it. If we were to rewind, I want to kind of understand the difference between maybe being operational in the business and running the personal brand and how you actually manage that day to day. So obviously now you're much more operational in the business. But stepping back maybe a couple of years when you weren't, let's say, or the question is, how would you split your time between the two? And then when we have that, I want to understand how you manage the personal brand side of the business. And the reason I'm asking is because I think the big takeaway from this episode for the listeners who are typically B2B marketers, whether it's them they want to build a personal brand of or their CEO, I think this could be really instructional for them. Yeah, totally. So I think most people listening to this probably have work to do operationally. And it's the same for Neil as well. Even though we're content creators, we're much more operators first. And we've said this on the podcast. And so for me, 
I typically would try to use Thursdays as, and today is Thursday, actually. Thursdays as my days for creating content. So back when we had the office in downtown LA, Thursdays would be an hour and a half, two hours or so would be dedicated to making YouTube videos. And then I would also have all my interviews for that day, whether I'm getting interviewed or I'm interviewing someone else. And then the marketing school stuff, that's much more dynamic because Neil has his schedule. I have mine as well. So that might happen on like a Friday, Saturday or Sunday, but we're, we're flexible with that one. So generally, I try to batch it all into one day. And I assume you have people around you. Maybe you're not editing a podcast, doing the videos, like writing some social copy. You have like a team that works directly for you or part of single grain. Yeah, so they... I would say they work directly for me. They don't touch anything that's really single grain related. And the setup for the team... So there's a handful of editors. There's a strategist as well. And then we have people editing show notes and all that type of stuff. So a lot of behind the scenes stuff like thumbnails and all that too, that is happening. And we have everyone just kind of thrown into like a Slack channel. And then we're just constantly giving each other feedback. Got it. And is there like one person who's like the project manager who's like, you need to record this then. We need to post this then. Yeah, we do. So there's, I want to say he's much more of a social media manager. He's just making sure that we're reaching a certain amount of output each week. So in terms of velocity and quantity, and that's what it would look like. The only project management that needs to happen is more so just the schedule with Neil and I. So the way that one works is I'm just kind of texting him and saying, hey, record this day, record this day or whatever. And that's basically it. But other than that, our teams are kind of, he has his team, I have mine. They're kind of, they have the machine rolling. So... Makes total sense. What are you most excited right now in like content creation or like the social world? What is like popping off the most? Yeah, I mean, I feel like everyone would give the default answer around AI. I'll try to go a little deeper there because everyone... When I, It's funny, when I ask people what the extent of their AI knowledge is, what have they actually done? They say ChatGPT or MidJourney and that to me is scraping the surface. And so for me, I'm very excited about programmatic SEO, which is not necessarily a new concept, but... It's a concept that is now made available to much more people. And so what that means is you can produce a lot of templated pages at scale. And so when you think about TripAdvisor, fun things to do in Rome, best things to eat in Rome or whatever, and build those pages out at scale, you now have the ability to do that. And we've been doing that for our own stuff and it's working. So that's one example. A second example would be this podcast that we're doing or the Marketing School podcast that's daily and we're both covering trends and our reactions to it. And until now, we haven't been able to figure out a way to quickly produce that content as it comes out. And now we have the AI producing 60 to 70% with a human in a loop. And so we're cranking that content out now, whereas before we never had that output. We just had the audio output, but now we have written output going out to our blog. It's 1,500 words or so. And it looks, you can't even tell that it was written by an AI. So just to dig into that, there's some kind of trigger, like maybe a Google News alert that's sending content into. ChatGPT, I assume, that's then spinning out the written content. You can use that as a basis for your discussion with Neil on the podcast. Is that the workflow? No. So the workflow is Neil and I will record in Riverside. Riverside will have a transcript. So it'll automatically do an AI transcription of it, which is good enough. And you can run it through a Google Bard or a ChatGPT and say, ask it to make a blog post with a nice headline using the transcript and it will do it. And then we'll run it through a duplicate content checker. And then a human being will come in and fact check We'll add in links, we'll add in stats, we'll add in pictures, we'll add in videos and just rewrite some stuff to make it good. And that's decreased our cost by about 50, anywhere from 50 to 80%. And our efficiency has gone up quite a bit. So makes total sense. And then on the programmatic SEO side, yeah, that has existed, right? But 
you're almost limited a little bit by how much like the uniqueness of every page. But now I'm assuming you get the AI involved and they can like spit out complete like big chunks of unique content for every page. That's correct. And so are you doing that for single grain and clients or just single grain? Right now we're just testing this stuff on our own stuff. So that the beauty of single grain, the beauty of being kind of this marketing persona, if you want to call it that, is you have to be ahead of the curve if you're going to talk about marketing. And so there's kind of that forcing function there and it holds us accountable. And so our own marketing, both Neil's and mine, even separately, is always going to be ahead of the work that we do for our clients. But at least we can translate that over quicker to our clients versus other type of service businesses. Makes total sense. That's kind of why I put so much effort into the podcast, because I test stuff that we can then use on clients. Let's talk about SEO then. You mentioned that was a big chunk for single grain. You must, because you've been working on that domain for like seven, no, 10 years, right? So a domain authority must be like 70, 80, 90. So obviously that's helping just like compounding. We're going to talk about compounding later. Is there anything else that you guys have done a single grain for SEO, apart from just banging out good stuff regularly that you could share with the audience? Yeah, so domain rating now on Ahrefs is 80 or so. And when I first took over the company, we were about 4,000 visits a month or so. So it really wasn't that much. And then we high pointed it to about 400,000 a month. And what I would tell everyone first is I wouldn't start with SEO today. But if you're going to push it, it took us about three, four years to even hit like 100K a month in terms of traffic. What we did in the beginning was we, our kind of editorial guidelines was, okay, the blog post need to be 1,500 to 2,000 words because we just wanted to capture more long tail traffic. And so, by the way, I'm not saying everyone needs to do that. And we did a lot of guest blog posting. And so I remember what we did was we were guest posting on like HubSpot or Entrepreneur and like SEOs are pretty good at guest posting on these. I've stopped that a long time ago. But what we would do in the author byline is we would have, for example, Eric Sue is the founder of digital marketing agency, Single Grain, and that would be hyperlinked, right? And that happened enough during that period where there was a period of time for two to three years where we ranked number one for digital marketing agency organically. And that's how we got all of our leads, like the Ubers, the Amazons and companies like that. So powerful. And that's quite like, I don't know how much that would work today, but like old school having the anchor text on the, like the keyword that you want. That's like, may not work now, but very clever back in the day. I think it still works now. Like the Google will say, oh, it doesn't work anymore. These tactics don't work. And then you see they'll have to like reverse course. The, the thing is not enough people do this and not enough people talk about this where it's enough of a threat for Google to worry about. And that's the good thing, right? Like for example, I, I have a friend that he spent, he'll put up hundreds of thousands of dollars of his own money just to go acquire links. And nobody else is willing to do that because it's such a nebulous thing. There we go, guys. Anger text on the main keyword. Is that the big, is that the most valuable keyword for you, digital marketing agency or they like digital marketing agency California or something? It's not anymore. Now we rank for a lot of like, we might get leads from talking about Google Magi, right? Or we might get leads talking about marketing funnels and things like that. So there's a lot of it's informational. And we do, our homepage doesn't necessarily rank for a lot of agency keywords anymore, but it still drives us like a good chunk of leads each month. So yeah. The craziest thing you said, by the way, coming back to it, was how roughly 70% of the leads that come in have some awareness of you. Like maybe those deals weren't sourced because they've been listening to podcasts for seven years, but they maybe just seen a tweet. And this obviously helps you up against some agency where they have a founder who's probably really great, but people don't know. And so going back to the personal brand thing, apart from just like banging out loads of good content over a period of a decade, which it seems like you've done, anything else we could advise our the audience? Yeah, well, let me tell you where I screwed up. Because when I look at my YouTube channel, 
in 2016, we really started to push it. If you go to my YouTube channel, Leveling Up with Eric Sue, you'll see, sure, we have, it's not even about subscribers, but we have 75,000 subscribers. But when I would put out videos before, the good ones, or the really good ones would get three, 400,000 views or so, which is pretty good for a marketing channel. And all I would talk about was marketing. And most of my videos would probably get 10, 15, 20,000 views or so, which is pretty good because those are quote unquote free. And I remember it was every Thursday we're recording. Every Thursday we're recording. We're going to shoot live in person. So that like the, the shot looks really good. Like sure, this shot looks decent, right? With the background, but two different cameras going. You have an editor with me in the room. We're feeding off each other and all that. I would just say there's a business lesson here. So I basically stopped being consistent. So the pandemic hit, I stopped being consistent. Number two, I started to talk about other things aside from marketing. And what ended up happening was we lost our mojo because we stepped away from what was working. Then I started talking about startups. I started talking about NFTs. And you get punished by the algorithm for doing that. And it's the same lesson in business too. Like I do believe our channel would probably be at a couple hundred thousand subs and a lot of views per month right now. How do we just stay focused there? And we're bringing that back now with YouTube, right? So there's a whole game to play there. And it's no different than any other channel. Like if you start to talk about different things, you start to lose your focus. Same with business. You start to do that, then everything starts to fall apart. And so as long as you understand the nuances around the game that you're playing, then you should be able to get there in due time. But if you just keep going in different directions all the time, you'll never get there. So you have the content creation skill, obviously the marketing expertise, the ability to grind. And then when you combine that with the ability to connect with other like famous people in the world of marketing, that seems like the formula to also becoming one of the marketing famous people. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I think the goal should never to be famous. And my goal was never to be famous. I think it was just to get in the right rooms with my own style. And so I'm an introvert. And the way I set up things is the reason why I do an event. The reason why I do this whole mastermind thing is just to hang out with cool people or these like small events that I do. And so... I adapted to my own style and it just happened to work out that way. I think, I don't think I expected in 2013 when I started to slowly like inch into creating more content that I would know the people that I know now. And I think the sweet spot actually is being niche famous. You don't want to be like too famous because then what happens? Like I remember last year we were walking, it was my friend Patrick Campbell who sold his company for a big exit and then. Alex Ramosi, we're walking in the street and actually during my event, Beverly Hills, right? And so we're walking and then a car like rolls by and these three kids are screaming, Alex Ramosi, Alex Ramosi, right? And then we just continue, we're like, oh, cool. We just continue walking. And then they end up following us into the side street. I'm like, oh my God, Alex Ramosi, can we take a picture? Can we take, like, that is famous. There's more of a responsibility there. But Patrick, who's actually famous in the SaaS world, nobody pays attention to him, right? Nobody pays attention to me too, because I'm like, semi-known in the marketing niche, right? And I think that's a good in-between because you won't necessarily have to deal with the added responsibility that the Hermosis have to deal with now, which I think they're doing great, but I don't envy that necessarily. So For sure. And then the final point I want to make, and I saw this in a tweet earlier today, and you've also discussed it here, is the power of focused compounding. Could you share more about that concept? Yeah. I think we lost our way in everyone, right? In 2020, where everything was all about growth, 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 growth at all costs. And growth at all costs means you tend to invest into a bunch of other side projects. You tend to hire people that are not necessarily a fit for your culture because you need people and you just lose discipline, which is what we talked about earlier. I'll just share kind of my mistakes that I made here is in 2021, we acquired two agencies at the same time. And we were also working on the SaaS at the same time. 
And we're also doing education at the same time while we have the core business too, in addition to my content responsibilities. And so you don't really like, sure, I've read a lot of books. You know, you have a lot of books back here where like it talks about focus. Like I've Warren Buffett over here who talks about focus, right? Quite a bit. And you can't, can't see his full face. But my point here is you don't really learn the power of it until you get, again, slapped in the face, punched in the face, whatever the expression is. And I think not just myself, but a lot of friends, we learned this the hard way in starting from 2020, 2021 or so. And now when you look at everything that's worked, it is just spending years and years and looking at things from a multi-decade perspective. And when you're able to do that, then you're not worried about the short term. I think just most people are wired to think short term. And that's all I'd say. Like those listening right now, if you're early in your career, sure, like you're listening to two people talk about focus. You might not care about this until you finally learn your lesson. And I feel like when you do, it'll be a good thing. Yeah. So one of those lessons that can only be learned through experience. Mm -hmm. Eric, thank you so much for sharing with them. And thank you for also being so open about the things that maybe have not gone so well as opposed to everything else that has. I'm going to link below both of the podcast, the leveling up book, single grain, social profiles, anything else we need to give a shout out to. Yeah, I'll just call this out. It's not even a shout out, but it's more so Anybody here, I think, listening can build a $100 million plus business. They can probably bootstrap it as long as they have a multi-decade outlook on it. And all it just takes is doing things and compounding for a very long time and not getting distracted. That's all it really is at the end of the day. Because if it's other human beings doing it, why can't you do it? And we'll finish on that. Eric, thanks so much for your time. All right, team, there we go. 70% of the people that come inbound to single grain are aware of Eric. That's the power of a niche personal brand. And that's what I want you, the B2B marketer listening slash founder listening to consider as you go into the rest of 2023. Now, let's give a quick shout out to UDUUP, the most recent reviewer on Apple Podcasts of this show. I'll give a quick snippet from the review. I get so much value from this podcast that I ended up reaching out to Tom and hiring to consult with me. Thank you so much. If you have any feedback for the show, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a rating or review, take a screenshot, send it to me wherever, on LinkedIn, for example, and then I will get you and your business a shout out on this show. So thank you for Eric for coming on and sharing those mistakes. It's awesome to hear that as well as all the successes. Thank you to Fame for creating this show, fame.so, and thank you for listening.